If you are excited about being at church today, y'all just got to make some noise for me right quick. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Make some noise in the house. Give God praise today. For those who are worshiping with us online, we are so glad you are joining us today. Uh, Listen, before I jump into the message, I want to say a few things, but before I even do that, I want to ask that if there is a seat next to you at the 11 o'clock service, we have to do this. There's a seat next to you. I need you to scoot on in, scoot on in, scoot on in. We have some people in the overflow uh, that would love to be right here in this sanctuary. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Well, listen, I want to give a couple updates really quickly. Pastor Tad mentioned it. But I want to say this, uh, we are very, very close to being in our new building. We got some news this past week where we got the heads up that our inspections had passed and we are going through. Somebody give God praise for that. And so at this point, the last thing that we're looking at right now is just the fire marshal coming in, giving us the CO, and we're ready to go. And so what we're looking at, again, mark your calendar with praying hands. We're looking at the weekend of September the 26th, the weekend of September the 26th. Put your hands together and praise God and pray (laughs) and pray because we're looking forward to doing that. Uh, The other thing that I want to say before we jump into the message is today, as we are closing out this series, uh, we're going to be finalizing this message on family. And if you are new here, we actually have the YouVersion Bible app where you can follow along with us. And they're going to put that on the screen. And I really want you to take note of this today because there are some things that I'm going to share that are really important that I want you to be able to take home with you, that I want you to be able to rehearse as you go. But there are also going to be many things that I say that are not in the notes. As a matter of fact, there are some things that I'm going to say today that I believe my spirit, through my spirit, is going to speak louder than the words that I have to say. So I want you to be able to pay attention. I want you to be able to take the notes. I want you to be able to follow along because this is something that I don't believe is just a sermon. This is something that can really shift us if we receive it. And so as we're doing this today, we are in the final message of the series. And we've been talking about family for the last five weeks. And as we're talking about family for these last five weeks, there's a few things that we've tried to do and tried to accomplish. And number one, I want to say the first thing that we've looked to do is hopefully you have been able to see a picture of what the family looks like as it's reflective in God's word. That's the first thing that we wanted to see. Number two, what we understand is that we hope that you come to understand and realize that if your family was not that great and if it's not even that great right now, you're not alone. All through the Bible, there are stories of dysfunction. All through the Bible, there are stories where God had to come redeem family. And so you're not alone, but it doesn't stop right there. Because number three, we hope that you have seen or that you will see today that there is hope for your family to look like God wants it to look like. We hope that you know that there is still hope for you to reflect the image of God through your family. And so today, as I finalize this series and minister this message, I want to give you what we would call a hinge key message, or what I like to uh, say is a major key, a major key that is for every successful family. And so as we jump into this, here it is. This is what I want to say. If you're someone like me, if you're someone like maybe even your neighbor, where maybe even all through these messages, you're saying, my family doesn't look like anything that they've talked about for the last several weeks. I want to let you know that there's still hope. Not only do I want to let you know there's still hope, I want to let you know that there's some good news. And I need you to ask me, Mo, what's the good news? Come on, talk through the mask. Mo, what's the good news? The good news is you can change all of that. Yeah. The good news is that you have an opportunity to be the change that you want to see. You have the opportunity to be the key that totally shifts the trajectory of your family legacy. And I know those are big words to some. You're like, okay, I've heard this type of thing before at church, but I want to let you know this is not church as usual. This is a word that if we can receive it, that we can literally affect our generations. And so as we're looking at this, I want to let you know your response today. Again, this is is not, I don't like to preach sermons just to put it in a notebook and just to put it away. I want to see change happen today. And so if we can lean into the message today, if we can receive it, literally your children's children, children will actually look back and thank you. They'll look back and say, my great-great-grandmother, they heard this message on this particular Sunday and they received something that shifted me. They'll say, my great-great-grandfather, they weren't just passive Christians, but they walked in some things that really affected my life today. And so today, even as we were ministering in the nine o'clock service, uh, I'm going to let you know, I didn't come to play with you today. I came to push us into purpose. 
I came so that we can actually respond to what God wants to do in and through us. And so for those who are in the room and even those who are worshiping with us online, I want us to grab this truth today because we can actually shift if we receive it. Now, by a show of hands, how many people remember right around in 2002, there was a book that came out called The Purpose Driven Life? By a show of hands. A lot of us have read that book. A lot of us heard about that book. And that book was not only a bestseller, but it was very popular because one of the stories and one of the questions of the day is always, what is my purpose? God, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I need to be pointed in the right direction. I don't know how I'm supposed to walk. Yes, I'm living a good life, but am I really fulfilling purpose? And so as I read that book even myself, and even as I go back and rehearse it, and even as I was looking at it for this message today, I want to make a statement that I've made before, but I want you to hear it with new ears today, and I really want you to lean into it because it's going to be an underpinning of a theme that I'm going to talk about for the rest of the day. They're going to put it on the screen, but this statement that I want to say to you is this, purpose produces precision. Purpose produces precision. Now, what this means, even as you write this down, these are not just words on the page. This is something for us to understand that when we can actually step into purpose, it creates some guardrails for us. When we step into purpose, even as we're talking about going into our building in just a couple weeks, what we know if you've been around here for any period of time is that we looked at 37 buildings before we found this one. But during that process, I've shared this with you before, is that it was very easy for me during that process, especially in the latter part of that process, when people would give us advice and when we would get turned down from this building and that building, and I had some good friends with good intentions that would come and say, hey, Mo, I need you to check out this, uh, this, old, this building over here in Buckhead. Hey, Mo, I need you to come over here and, and take this visit and look at this building over here in East Atlanta. Hey, Mo, hey, this would be perfect for victory if you would come over here, right here in this area over off North Druid Hills. And in that time when I would hear that, I would say, with all due respect, I don't have to go see that building. I was able to say that so confidently and calmly because what I realized is that the name of this church is Victory Midtown. And because the name of this church is Victory Midtown, that means that there's a people there's an impartation, there's an effect that God wants to have, not just through me and through the staff, through you that can affect and bring the kingdom of God through victory right here in Midtown. And so because I understood that, it made me very comfortable with saying, thank you, but no thanks. See, as we look at this, what we have to understand is that there are a lot of things that will come our way, but we have to understand our purpose. And as I'm looking at our purpose, what we are talking about today is having a purpose-driven family, a purpose-driven family. It has been said that two of the most important questions that you'll be asked are these. Number one, what are you here for and how are you gonna walk it out? But there are even two other things that are even more important than that, and that's the days that you were actually born and the day that you found out why. See, it's good that we come into the earth. It's good that God breathes into us and gives us life. But yes, we need to be brought into the earth, but more importantly, do you know why you're here? Do you know why your steps are ordered? Do you know why you need to make this move versus that move? Do you know why you've been surrounded by certain people? And what I wanna let you know is as we talk about purpose breeding precision and purpose producing precision is this. On the very first page of the Bible, God didn't waste any time with telling us about the purpose of humanity. The very first page on the Bible, God said this, and I want you to follow me. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, he said this. The Bible says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. Say that with me. Say dominion. dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Then God blessed them. Underline that if you can. Circle it, screenshot it. Then God blessed them. The Hebrew word for blessed in this context is berak. Berak. Not barak. Berak. Berak. You got to kind of use your tongue. Berak. And what that means is that he filled with strength. So when you read that again, it says, then God filled them with strength, and then he said, be fruitful. 
and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And have what? Dominion. Come on, say it one more time. Have what? Dominion. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, I want to give you context. And the reason why I'm kind of using even some of the Hebrew words, because I want to give you the original translation for these things so that we can really grab the essence of it. Even when you look at the word dominion, the Hebrew word is rada. Rada. Come on, practice it with me. Say rada. Come on, you're going to get a test later. Say rada. What rada means is this. It means that you are to rule, to dominate, to tread down, or to subjugate. Let me say it one more time. To rule, to dominate, to tread down, or to subjugate. What it's saying is that we have to put things under our power. As a matter of fact, when you look at this, the purpose of humanity is this. Write this down. It's the missio dei. The mission of God for us is to be image bearers who make other image bearers and walk in dominion over things that try to influence and control us on the earth. Selah, let me slow that down a little bit. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to say it again because it's not in your notes. Watch this. It says, the purpose of humanity, the missio dei, the mission of God for us is to be image bearers who make other image bearers and walk in dominion over things that try to influence and control us on this earth. Let me give this to you in 2021 terms. What this is really saying is that we need to boss up. We need to stand strong. We need to stand tall and walk in our authority. Let me say it again. We need to boss up. Somebody put your shoulders back. We need to boss up. We need to stand strong. We need to stand tall and walk in our authority. So when the Bible tells us that we're to have dominion, what it's saying is that even in the scripture it says you're to have dominion over these things. But if we're honest, there are a lot of things that have dominion over us. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of circumstances that guide us instead of us guiding them. And so as we look at this, here it is. See, right in Genesis 3, sin entered into the world. And in Genesis 3, a sin nature came upon us that was not there when we were supposed to have domination. And a major key that I want to give us today is this. When God charges you to have dominion, when he charges you and gives you responsibility to lead in an area, when you don't do that, inevitably that area will start to lead you. I'm slowing down on purpose because sometimes we hear these things and we just run past it. When God gives us dominion, when he gives you responsibility to lead in an area, if you don't do it, what's going to happen is that area is going to lead you. Let me make it real, real. If you are always led by your emotions, you aren't supposed to be led by your emotions. You are supposed to lead your emotions. If you have things in areas that are undone, areas of lust in your life, areas of, of, of too much, you have to be able to know, God, that is not your plan for me. You don't want that lust to lead me. You want me to be able to have dominion over that. Somebody say amen. amen. And so as we're looking at this after the fall, what we know is that the sin nature came in and really tried to reconstruct, tried to demolish the family structure. And that's why we see over and over and over again, destruction with the family, dysfunction in the family. Even starting with Cain and Abel, you know, he said, I'm going to be jealous of my brother because there was something that came in that actually stopped allowing him to look at the fact that he had dominion and started to make him compare himself. As we look at this, this is one of the main reasons why Jesus came into the earth. He came into the earth to, to really take us away from this dysfunction and put us back into the Imago Dei into the image of God, into the way that we're supposed to see ourselves in his image and in his likeness. I need somebody to repeat this after me. Say, I am created in God's image and in his likeness. Have you noticed that since sin came into the world, that especially in the world system that we live in today, everything's trying to reconstruct what family looks like. Everything's trying to redefine what the biblical idea of family is. Everything is trying to tell us that we should be thinking like this, that we should be associating with this idea and coming away from that idea. But what I want to let you know is that even though these things are trying to reconstruct and trying to restructure, we can't go with that. As a body of believers, as the body of Christ, as disciples of the kingdom of God, we have to be able to stand strong. But I know just like you know, there's a lot of things that are happening. You have people that are not getting married that much anymore. 
You have a whole lot of friends with benefits happening these days. Just look at me straight. You got a whole lot of people, you know, making those calls or sending those texts saying, you up? You have men marrying men today. You have women marrying women. You have children being raised by just their grandparents because of fissures in the family. You have people that are actually being raised by two women or two men. And watch this, before your religious spirit comes on me and say, hey, you, you're like this preacher, you're out of touch, you don't know what's going on, I need you to look me in my eyes. I need you to look me in my eyes and, and hear this. Me being pro-Bible does not make me anti-you. Put that in your pocket. Me being, you being pro-Bible does not make me anti-you. And I want to make this very clear. Again, look me in my eyes. I have family members. I have friends. I have associates that walk and live in these alternative lifestyles. And what I do is I lead with love because I understand that love conquers all. But that does not mean that I have to fall back from what the standard of the Lord is. We want you to know this so intently that even in our new building that we're getting ready to move into in just a couple of weeks, we had them put over a screen before you even walk into the sanctuary, right above it, the scripture, John 13, 35. And what that scripture says is that they will know you. They will know that you're my disciples because of the love that you have for one another. See, the challenge is, yes, we can stand strong on our standard in the body of Christ, but too many times we've led with hate instead of leading with love. And so when we try to tell people, hey, this is the standard of the Lord, their ears are cut off, their, their antennas are down because we spent too much time hating people instead of loving them into the order of Christ. We are committed right here at Victory, right here at Victory Midtown to be a church, to be a body of believers who will lead with love. But as we walk through this, here it is, we understand the whole concept of family is under attack. And now as we walk through this, I want to say this. I want to give you what it looks like to be a purpose-driven family. And if you're single, if you're married, if you have kids, or if you don't, if you're an auntie, if you're an uncle, if you're a grandparent, if you're divorced, you can actually take these keys and actually dig into what God says. So what does a purpose-driven family look like? Number one, Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says this, where there is no vision, no revelation of God in his word, the people are unrestrained. But happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of God. Now let me go to that. When it says unrestrained, it does not equal freedom. Unrestrained is not saying, oh, I just get to do whatever I want. Unrestrained says that if you're unrestrained, you're actually putting yourself in a danger zone. And when we talk about purpose producing precision, what we're saying is that you need to have a vision from God so that when you get misaligned, that purpose actually kicks in and you get right back in line. I said this in a nine o'clock service, in my car there's this function that when I start to kind of drift out of my lane, it kind of auto-corrects me and puts me back. It's the same thing in the body of Christ, it's the same thing in the kingdom, that when we start to get a little off, when we start to kind of veer off because of our temptation, because of our flesh, the Lord is saying, my purpose will bring you back into line. But if you have no vision for where you're supposed to walk in, what you'll do is you'll go all off in the lane, get off the wrong exit, and find yourself in a ditch. But I'm here to let you know God wants to give you a spiritual lane relocator. He wants you, even when you are wanting to go after that thing, that person, that, that type, he wants you to know that you can actually come right back to me because purpose produces precision. Another version of the Bible says it like this in the Passion. It says, where there is no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. The reason why that's important is that we have to know that if we don't hear from the Word of God, what I'm here to do right now is to speak through your flesh and to speak prophetically to your spirit and say, God has more for you. He has more for your family. He has more for your generations. He has more that he wants you to receive if you can hear it. Somebody say Amen. But here's the thing, if I asked you today, what is the vision for your family, how many people could answer that question? I could offer some of us a million dollars in here and you couldn't write it down fast enough because we haven't thought about those things. But what I wanna do is I wanna make sure that we're not just thinking about our education, we're not just thinking about our jobs, we're not just thinking about having a lot of money, you know, saving up for a rainy day. 
We want to find out, God, what have you instinctively, what have you distinctly placed me right here on this earth to do that nobody else can do? What have you called my family to leave a legacy in? So I want you to write this statement down because it's not in your notes, but here it, it says this, your life is a direct result of the vision that you did or did not identify. Let me say it again. Your life is a direct result of the vision that you did or did not identify. Why is that important? Because if you don't identify the vision for your life as God puts it in you, what will happen is you'll find yourself at the whim of somebody else's vision for you. Some of us know what I'm talking about. Somebody picked us and they chose us and they identified that we had something good to give them, but that wasn't the vision that God had for you. And if we can have this at the forefront of our minds, what we will be able to do is we will be able to see when we start to get a little bit offline, when, yeah, God, I know I'm not supposed to look at him like that or her like that again. I, I know I keep falling back into that type. The Lord will redirect you. He will bring you back into purpose that breeds precision. Here it is. One of the reasons why we make short-sighted decisions is because we don't have long-term vision. I'm slowing this down because I want this to get in your spirit. This is not a sermon. This is instruction for your life. The reason why a lot of times we make uh, temporary decisions that will have eternal consequences is because we don't have long-term vision that will guide us. We don't see what's really worth it. We don't see that when we do this, it's going to have a ripple effect, not just for me, but for my children's children's children. And so one of the reasons why we have a lot of drift in family even in the body of Christ, is because there's no vision to anchor it. There's no vision to pull us down. A lot of people ask Kendra and I, why do you wear these anchors on your wrist and on your neck? It's because it's a reminder to us that number one, we are anchored in Christ. And number two is that we have something that we are going after that it's a reminder that if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, if I'm not operating in the way I'm supposed to operate, I'm anchored in some beliefs. I'm anchored in a vision. I'm anchored in an objective that God has for me. And so as we look at this, here it is. I'm not just giving you this because I just want to fill, fill time with some words. I want to give you this because your very life and the life of your children depend on it. If we don't grab this, what we need to know is that when purpose is not guiding us, trouble will find us. When purpose is not guiding us, trouble will find us. Have you ever found or have you ever realized that when you're not intentional about your time, you always end up scrolling on something you weren't supposed to be scrolling? When you're not intentional with your time and you don't actually stay on purpose, what will happen is you'll end up over somebody's house in a situation that you know you're not supposed to be in. But purpose produces precision. When we have purpose, we're able to be realigned. So here it is. I'm not just going to talk about it. I want to give you some tools to be able to write out your personal or your family vision statement. Follow me real quick. There are five questions that we need to answer to craft our family vision statement. Number one, we have to ask ourselves, what will be the center of my life? What will be the center of my life? That is a question of worship. And when I say a question of worship, it's not just about lifting your hands in a church service. It's a question of what will I follow? What is going to be my priority? Number two, what will be the character of my life? This is a question of discipleship. It makes you ask the question, what type of person am I going to be? Number three, what will be the contribution of my life? This is a question of service, meaning what will my role be in the body of Christ? See, I love what Pastor Tad said. He said he wasn't just talking about giving an offering. What he was saying is that we need to pray and ask God, yes, I might not be the person preaching. I might not be the person on an instrument. I might not even be the person on the door or serving in Victory Kids. But God, what do you want me to give that only I can give to this body of believers so that the kingdom can come? It's my role in the body of believers. We've said this many times. We don't want your hands. We're more concerned about your heart. We want your heart to be fulfilled in God. And then what will happen is a natural outflow of what you do and what you add to the body will actually come forth from you. And that's how you walk in strength. Here it is, number four. Number four, what will be the communication of my life? This is very important. 
When we ask ourselves what will be the communication, this is our mission to unbelievers. Because the reality is, especially unbelievers, they read your life before they hear your words. You have no idea how many people have opted out or opted in because of how you're operating. Yeah, you can have the Victory Church logo on your shirt, on your car, but if you're reading something else, you're turning somebody off from the kingdom of God. So how are we going to be read by the people who see us? Number five, what will be the community of my life? This is extremely important. This is a question of fellowship and connection with other believers. When you come here, that's why we try to cultivate times for you to really connect with people and not just come and leave. We want to make sure you're connected with a body of believers through small groups, through teams, through Victory Fit, which we've seen a lot of you come to and actually participate in. So this vision statement, what it is and what it should serve as is an interrogative statement for us to really look at the quality of our lives. And so I want to just give you a quick example. Because some of you, you're like, man, that's a lot of stuff to think about. Let me just give you a quick example of what Kendra and I, the Moment Family's working vision statement is right now. They're going to put it on the screen. It just says this simply, to reflect God's image by representing excellence in mind, body, and spirit with a commitment to reflecting leadership and love to each other and those around us. Very simple, but it gives us some guardrails. Keep that on the screen for a minute because some people need a guide. And and what I want to say is to even those who might be the men in the house, the head of households, when we came up with this and when we're talking about this, I didn't just write it down and say, hey, here, this is what we're doing. I text my wife because the same way that I value her and her mind and her spirit, I wanted to be able to have her influence too. I might have missed something. There may be something that she needs to put in there. And when she sent it back to me, we said, okay, we can agree to this. We can agree to this. Some of us need to take the time and not allowing our lives to guide us, but to write some things down so that we can have a guide. So when you answer these, here it is. I believe we'll have fulfillment. Because even as I was having a conversation this week, our purpose is not just to show up as we talked about several months ago with a church face on Sundays. It's not just to come in and act like everything's good and all hell is breaking loose at home. As a matter of fact, some of y'all are like, it's not even at home, it's in the car waiting on me for when I get back. (laughs) The purpose of us walking in this and coming together is that Monday through Saturday, we're able to live out what we received here on Sunday. We don't want to fake it until we make it. We want to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can live out what is good and acceptable to Christ. And this is why even with children, we see a lot of children kind of falling away. We see children misguided. It's because we're not taking time to aim them in the right way. Watch this. Proverbs 22, verse 6, it says this. Train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, it will not depart from it. Psalm 127 verse 4 says this. We talked about this last week. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. See, we have to be able to point our children with precision. Kendra shared last week how every day since the time I found out that we were pregnant and expecting a child, I would speak into her womb these, these words. I would say, Maximus, You are endowed with power, strength, and authority. She had to have me add peace because she said, I need some peace around this house. But every day I would say, go to her stomach and say, Maximus, you are endowed with power, strength, and authority and peace. Maximus, you are endowed with power, strength, authority, and peace. And what I would say is this, Maximus, your name means the greatest, which means that to be the greatest, that means you have to be the greatest servant of all. I would look at him through the spirit and say, you walk in humility, which is strength under control. And so what we're doing is that we're forming him. We're pointing him. We're putting things in his subconscious, in his spirit, so that when he gets older and he starts to get tempted by certain things and he starts to get out of his lane, he says, no, no, no. I got to autocorrect. No, no, no. My parents, they shot me in the right way. No, no, no. I have precision in my life because vision has been spoken over me. And so it's critical, let me speak to the singles in the house real quick, it's critical that you choose a mate who has vision. It is critical not just to choose a mate who has vision, but a mate who has God's vision for their lives. (laughs) 
Because when we grab this, it takes us into this next thing that I want to share. A purpose-driven family, they have a life of significance. A life of significance. I chose my words very carefully. I didn't say success. Because success just talks about me and what I can get, while significance talks to my generations. Success is just about us four and no more. It's about what I can attain, what I can gather. But significance is saying, I'm willing to trade off certain things that are comfortable now because I want to have a long-term effect for those generations that are coming after me. Watch this. I love this scripture. We love to talk about David. We love to talk about he was a lion and a lamb. He had the slingshot. He took down the giant. But watch this scripture. I don't don't know if you're still going to love David after this. It says this. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. See, what that scripture right there is saying, it says David died empty. David was so committed that in his days that he was living on the earth, every single day he died empty. Every single day he stepped out into the things of God. Every single day. See, when he showed up and his brothers were being mocked, he said, I'm not afraid of death. I need to show up right now because apparently I've been called here for a purpose. I want to say this to some Davids in the room. God has placed you where you are for a purpose. And you need to start showing up, not letting things be over you, but you need to stand up. You need to bow up. You need to stand strong. You need to boss up. Somebody put your shoulders back real quick. Say, I need to stand up. I need to boss up. I need to have dominion. Because in order to die empty, you have to walk with purpose. In order to die empty, you have to be able to say no to some things that look really good right now. In order to die empty and have a purpose-driven family, you have to be able to look for the long term and not get caught up with the short term. So this is why even practically, Kendra and I, we, we've written books and we try to do leadership teaching and things of that sort. Because for us, we're saying we will not die and then what God put, us on, put on the inside of us dies with us. I prophetically speak to some people in here that you have books in you. You have manuscripts in you. You have business plans in you. And I declare right now that even after hearing this word, that you will dust those things off, that you will bring it out because God does not desire for you to die with that on the inside of you. Here it is. This is a significance question, and I want you to write this down. It's going to be on the screen. Here it is. What can my family do to impact others based on how God has formed us? This is about significance, not just success. What can my family do, whether I'm single, whether I'm married, whether I'm a surrogate parent, what can my family do to impact others based on how God formed us? See, this brings us outside of ourselves. It brings us outside of selfishness because I want to ask this question, what have you done lately that doesn't actually benefit you? As a family, how have you shown your children, how have you shown your spouse that we're not going to be a family that's just selfish? Maybe I need to start serving in a small group. Maybe you need to start a small group. Maybe you need to start serving in Victory Kids. Maybe it's joining the community so that other people can see how to walk this thing out. Maybe it's becoming a part of our community transformation team that as we go into this new neighborhood, we're able to say, God, I've been filled up. I've been coming to church week after week after week. Now I need to be able to share what you imparted into me to other people. So as we look at this, this is where we are able to walk in this significance. Even looking at Philippians 2, it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Let me just pause right there. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, this is not a popular thing that we talk about today. Everybody's trying to get theirs. Everybody's trying to gather. And we're talking about how can we give away? How can we be a blessing? Which goes to number three. Number three. A purpose-driven family models a life of generosity. A purpose-driven family models a life of generosity. What we're talking about is a purpose-driven life models that I want to give away my time. I want to give my talent. And like they used to say in the old church, I want to give away my tenth. But a lot of times we get so stuck on, you know, somebody wants my money that we're not giving away what God gave us to give. 
A purpose-driven family understands this. Watch this. You can never give and be on deficit in God. You can never give and be on E because the principle of sowing and reaping, this is not a prosperity gospel. The principle of sowing and reaping says, when you give, it shall be given back unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over. Watch this. When you give care, care is going to come back to you. When you give love, love is going to come back to you. When you give friendship and you call that person in the midnight hour, friendship is going to come back to you. Some of us are wondering why we're lonely because we haven't given out any love. We haven't given out any care. And one of the things that really irks me that is really a stigma even in church is that you hear people always say, well, the church just wants your money. No, the church don't want your money. The church sometimes needs money to do the work of the ministry, but what we really want is for you to give of your essence. Because when you give of your essence, what you'll understand is there are priorities now in the kingdom of God. When you give of your essence, then the money that you give, now it will go to actually impact the kingdom, and it won't be something that you think is going to go down the drain. Watch this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it says this, verse 12. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean you giving, your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gather a lot had nothing left over, and those who gather only a little had enough. Watch this. I want you to do something. Put your hands up like this. Put your hands up like this. Look at your hands. I want you to ask out loud, Lord, what have you put in my hands? Lord, what have you placed in me that I'm to give away? Lord, what are my hands showing me I have ability to do? Keep those hands right there for a moment. Some of us have been operating in a poverty mindset, trying to look for something on the outside, and God has put everything you need on the inside. Some of us have been looking and trying to get a better job, and God has said, I put the business on the inside of your spirit. Some of us are wondering why we can't take care of our family, but we've been prioritizing, running around, trying to be something for other people. And he's saying, look at what's in your hands. I have fearfully and wonderfully made you for a purpose such as this. Those who are watching online, I need you to put those hands up right now and be able to say, Lord, say it in the room, Lord, what have you put in my hands? Keep those hands right there. The scripture says, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So as we change the narrative, we take those hands and we lift them to the Lord. Because we're saying, Lord, as I take these hands, come on, Lord, as I take these hands, I take what you've given me. I give it to you to be a blessing to others. Somebody put your hands together if you believe that. So very practically, as we get ready to wrap this up, very practically, this is why as a church, we believe in giving 20% of our income, anything that comes into the church, to local and international missions. This is why as a church that when disaster strikes, we're able to give from what is heart of the house and we're able to jump in and help people to make sure that they're able to recover. This is why as a church, we give at Christmas gift to the world every year to give our best gift and not get caught up in commercial, commercialization. This is why Kendra and I even, we actually try to surprise people. We try to find out people's shoe sizes because we're like, listen, we want to make sure that we're able to be a blessing. Now, some of y'all don't be sending me your shoe size. <laughs> I already heard somebody like, oh, I wear a size 11 and a half. That kind of looked like 11 and a half you got on up there. <laughs> what I'm saying is that we need to look for opportunities to be a blessing. A purpose-driven family looks for opportunities to be a blessing that might not be seen with the natural eye. Dr. Martin Luther King, he said this great quote. He said it like this. He says, every man must decide whether he will walk in the light of creative altruism or in the darkness of destructive selfishness. What he's simply saying is that you're either going to be selfish 
or you're going to be selfless. It's real easy to be selfish, but he's saying, will you be selfless? Will you be creative? Will you look for opportunities to be creative and be selfless? Because when a family lives a life of generosity, it keeps them from being selfish and self-centered. It keeps us from actually being about us for and no more. And here's the last thing I want to give us. This is, this is a game changer. This is a game changer. A purpose-driven family, to be that, it requires to have a life of faith. It requires us to have a life of faith. This is one of the favorite scriptures that I, that I love to quote and that I love to meditate on in the Bible. It says this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. It says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I love the, I highlight the part right here, must believe that he is, must believe that he is a healer, must believe that he is a deliverer, must believe that he's the great reconciler, must believe that he is the one that puts me on solid ground even when I think I'm sitting back. I must believe that he is God. And so as I believe that he is God, what that does is it gives me an inner conviction that even when circumstances don't look like there's something positive in it, I can say, I don't care what it looks like. I know the truth that he is God. In our household, Kendra knows that she probably gets tired of it. You know, there'll be things that hit us and, you know, tragedy may uh, strike or problems may happen and we'll start talking about it and I'm, I'm learning to listen. Amen, church. I'm learning to take it in. I'm learning to not act like I already have the answer. I'm learning. I'm giving some tips to some men in the room. Y'all need to be taking notes. I'm learning to stop talking and pay attention. But when I'm doing that, what she also knows is that I have a common response. And my common response is this, and some of y'all need to write this down because you need to grab it. I always say either we believe God or we don't. Either we believe God or we don't. Now, what I'm not saying is don't feel your emotions because emotions are real, but don't get led by your emotions. Don't get led by your pain. We all have to be able to step up and stand out and boss up and be able to say, yes, I know what the facts say, but I know the truth that he is God. Somebody say amen. amen. So the reason why we, live, we read and even live through and, and, and really reflect on those in the Bible is because they had lives of faith. When you have faith, you need to understand this. This is one of the last things I want you to write down, but I need you to write it down. Here it is. Faith is the divine separator from being a survivor and one who lives on purpose. Faith is the divine separator from someone who is a survivor to someone who lives on and in purpose. When I looked up the word survivor, what it said is one who copes with difficulty well. Yeah, you want to be able to cope, but I don't want to just cope. I want to be more than a conqueror. I don't want to just cope. I want to make sure that I boss up and understand that those things that tried to influence me, I have influence over them. So when you stand with this posture, you understand that faith, it changes the lens by which you filter everything. Faith, it changes the way by which you give. Faith, it changes the way by which you see possibilities. Faith, it changes the way that you perceive the things that other people fall back in. And so as we're looking at this, here it is. If you're living on purpose, you're not one that's just going to live by survival. You're going to thrive. And the reason why most families, most families operate and just kind of falling back, they're lukewarm, Things are not exciting. People try to, try to go and jump off planes, trying to put a jolt in their life. Just get some purpose about yourself. Some of y'all don't have to do that. Y'all going and spending all this money jumping out of planes. Why don't you write a vision statement that challenges God? Because the reality is, if we can actually employ the Spirit of God in our vision, there are things that are far beyond what we even see today. Let me say it like this. If you can write your vision statement and you know, I'm going to check this box, I'm going to check this box, I know who to call, I know I got that plug, I got this connect over here, that vision is not from God. Yeah, I see some eyes getting big. He's like, man, I need to throw away my whole vision statement. 
What I'm saying here is that we have to actually dream God-like visions to the point that we know God is only going to be you that allows me to accomplish this. God, I'm inviting your faith. I'm inviting faith in so that I can accomplish this, and I know I can't do it alone. So this is what I want to do for a moment. You are called to be a purpose-driven family. And just for about 60 to 90 seconds, I want you to take out your phone, your tablet, whatever you're taking notes on. I want everybody to participate in this. I want you just to take a moment and hear from God and just let him speak to you and say, here are some words that go along with your vision. Here is some direction that goes along with the vision that I've placed in your life. As you're taking this time, some of, some of you are just going to get one word that the Lord will unpack later. But I need you to take intentional time right now and start to just write that down. Write it from a posture of strength. Write it from a posture of domination. Write it from a posture knowing that you are more than a conqueror. Think about how you want your great-grandchildren to see you. the areas that have been tough in your life, start to even write how you want to change the narrative. About 20 more seconds, about 20 more seconds. Some of us, this is the first time we've taken time to slow down and to hear what God is saying to us about our lives. What I want to say is that as you're continuing to even write that, I want to let you know that the only way that you're going to walk as a purpose-driven family, whether you're in the room or you're worshiping with us online and you're taking notes right now, is that you have to mix the plans that you're hearing with the faith of God. And there are some people even in the room or those who are watching online right now that you've heard these, you're like, man, those are some good keys. I can employ that in my life. But I want to let you know that it will not sustain if you have not been led by the Spirit, if you're only doing something out of your flesh. And the only way that you can be led by the Spirit to actually even codify what he is saying to you right here is if faith is mixed in it and if you have a relationship with Jesus to give you that faith. And so what I want to do, I want to ask everybody just to bow your heads for a moment. You might be here in the room and you heard this message here online and you heard this message and you're like, man, I want to walk in that type of purpose. But I'm not in relationship with Jesus or I've given up my position of authority because I've allowed the world to redefine how I'm supposed to walk. If you're in this room or online, you can put it in the chat. If you're in here, I want you just to lift one of your hands in the air. If you want to give your life to Jesus or you're saying, God, I want to recommit today to live on purpose. I see those hands all over the room. I want us to repeat this prayer after me, and let's not just repeat it as something we go through, but I want you to repeat it with your heart and your spirit. Let's say, Lord Jesus, thank you for being my Savior. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. You didn't just die so that I can be forgiven of my sins. But you also died so that I can live in the full purpose for which you've called me. 
today I repent, which means I turn from my way of doing things. I turn from the way I saw purpose and I turn towards your purpose. Lord, I want my generations to be saved. And it starts with me today. So thank you for being my Lord and thank you for being my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. There's one last thing I want to do, and for some of us, we need to actually employ and act out the word which I spoke. I spoke that when we operate in dominion, that we stand strong, that we stand tall, that we boss up, that we walk in authority. Some of you in the room, again, as an act of faith, I need, if you want to make sure that you're the one that's going to make a change in your life, if you're the one that's going to stand in authority, that's going to shift everything to go forward, I need you just to stand up on your feet. Head of households, husbands, wives, if you're single and you're saying, I want to make sure my generations are changed, I want to pray over you. And in praying over you, what I want to do is I want to reaffirm the authority of Jesus Christ in you. And so before I pray, this is what I want you to do. I want you just to, if you're comfortable, just to lift your hands right now. We ask the Lord, Lord, what's in my hands? How do you want me to operate? I want to let you know that just like we speak over our son, Maximus, you have power, strength, authority, and peace. You have power, strength, authority, and peace. I don't care what somebody told you. You have power, strength, authority, and peace. I don't care what violation happened in your life that caused you to wonder if you were worth it. I'm telling you right now that you have power, strength, authority, and peace. 